What up, world? It's your Blazer beat writer and pass first point guard, Mike Richmond, coming to you live Wednesday evening after the Blazers beat the Dallas Mavericks 126-118 at the Moda Center. It was a good day to be a Blazer, not just because they beat a bad team at home, but because a bunch of other teams lost. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about tonight's win over the Mavericks. I want to talk a little bit about what the Blazers look like without CJ McCollum two games in. And then I want to talk about some statistical trends, a couple things I've noticed that have been going on with the Blazers over the past couple weeks. And I think that could be uh, issues for them down the stretch, or at least in the playoffs, because their stretch schedule is fairly easy, as we've talked about a bunch of times. But before we get to that Let's do like we do and start with the game that happened tonight. The Blazers beat a not very good Dallas Mavericks team. And Damian Lillard was yet again fantastic. Almost swore right there. That's how good he was. No F-bombs. It's a clean podcast. Locked on Blazers. Clean podcast, y'all. But Dame, 33 points, 12 assists, 5 rebounds. He was 9 of 18 from the floor, 6 of 12 from 3. And he missed his last three threes. Could have been a little bit better. But he was just fantastic. This was this was Dame at his absolute best. Uh, he was a maestro. Uh, I'm, I'm going to spare you the musical metaphors beyond that. But even by Dame's all-NBA level standards, this is as well as I've ever seen him play. Uh The last two games, he had 30 and 15 in the win over the Pacers uh, and really just controlled that game. Again, 33 and 12 tonight. And he's not taking a ton of shots. Like he hasn't hit the 20 shot mark in either of these games in the post CJ world. And he talked a little bit about being more hands on and having to do more and what that's going to look like. But really, what it is, and uh, your friend of mine, Jason Quick, wrote a nice story about this on The Athletic that you can check out, is that Dame is just, he's, he's grown. His cerebral game is just, that's where he's made the biggest jump. Um, you know, he's he's kind of been this guy 26 and 7 for the last three years. But this is the best he's played because nights like this where he just orchestrates everything. He just, uh, sorry guys, I'm getting caught up in this uh, music metaphor, but I'm going to escape it, I promise. He just he he just runs this, this offense so well. He gets guys into their spots. Uh the starting lineup uh, that included Jake Lehman again tonight, and we'll talk about him a little bit more later, but uh, really blitzed this Mavericks team. They had no answer for it. Um, you know, he was he was whipping pick-and-roll passes to Nurk inside. He set up Nurk for the highlight of the game on a pick-and-roll where uh, Nurk rolled, and he hit him just with a bullet, a bullet pass that was right in his chest. You know, he'd been setting up with a bounce pass and kind of reading that little pocket and said this time he just whips in a little... Uh, Sort of crosses body, left-handed pass. Nurk catches it and cramps all over poor Salamedri. But it's just Dame's ability to read and understand the game. And to know that what the Blazers need from him isn't to take 25 shots and go score 40. It's to do all of the things. He didn't play in the fourth quarter, and I think that was an important one because after that game against the Indiana Pacers where he played 40 minutes, Terry Stotts talked 
a lot about how he didn't want to overuse Dame and that he was a little bit worried. That 40-minute number was big for, for Dame. He wanted to keep him down at that 34, 36 minutes on a normal night. Well, tonight he only played 30 because the Blazers were able to take care of business and get up by, you know, 17, 18 points in that fourth quarter, and, and, and Terry was able to hold off and not bring the starters back in. In fact, with about six minutes left, the Dallas Mavericks basically just waved the white flag, only down 16. Like, they're not good and they have no incentive to win, so all power to you, as tanking teams do. Go ahead and tank. But with six minutes left, Luka Doncic had just scored, and he committed an intentional foul at half court to sub himself out after only playing 29 minutes. He had 24-5-6. and six. He looked really good. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. Respect to Trey Young. Respect to this whole rookie class. is a good rookie class, but... Dude's going to win Rookie of the Year, and, the, and, and uh, the Mavericks still yanked him after 29 minutes because they got incentive to lose and get him a new rookie friend if they can get that top five pick and not have to give it to the aforementioned Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young squad. But this game wasn't just about Damian Lillard or me considering what tanking means for NBA teams. Uh, some other players in the Blazers had nice nights. Seth Curry, chief among them, he had 20 points off the bench. Five rebounds, one assist, two steals. Eight of 16 from the floor. He hit four of seven threes. Uh, he missed a couple floaters that probably stopped him from uh, having an even more monster night, but he was good. Uh, Jake Lehman started again. Uh, I, I would have, if I'd had to guess, I would have thought that uh, after the way the Pacers game went down where Lehman really struggled and then didn't start the second half and Rodney Hood played. I would have thought Hood uh, would have taken those minutes, and he still kind of did. Uh, you know, Lehman played a lot of garbage minutes at the end of the game. He stayed on the court with the scrubs who closed out the final five or six minutes of this one. Uh, and Hood also played 25 minutes and was and was solid. Uh, unspectacular, but solid. Eight points, two assists. Kind of didn't do much, but but... Uh, his minutes were were fine, but but Layman came into this game and uh, he was four of thirty from three since the All Star break and missed his first uh, three from deep, I believe. And missed his first five shots overall. And one of those shots he missed was uh, pretty much a wide open three. That instead of taking a wide open three, he pump faked, drove into the teeth of the defense, and took a much tougher floater and missed that one anyways. He also committed some tough fouls to finish with four, but three of those were just were, were sort of in the run of play in the first half when this was still kind of a game. But then he closed off making his last three threes. Maybe this is the game that gets Jake Lehman right. Uh, he, you know, he finished with 13 on four of 10 shooting. It, his final stat line looks fine. It, 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 it belies the fact that he was, he was really struggling a little bit there early, but maybe this is the one... Um, this is this is the game that gets Jake Lehman going. I want to talk more about Lehman and then and, and what the uh what the Blazers look like in the uh CJ McCollumless world. But before I do that, I want to tell you guys about a new podcast app called Himalaya. You can find Locked On Blazers and all the Locked On podcasts from the whole network on Himalaya. It's a new podcasting app. 
They've got personally curated playlists and new features every day. So be sure to download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to not just this podcast, but every podcast in the Lockdown Network. All right, we are officially two full games into the C.J. McCollumless world. Uh, if you ask Damian Lillard, he thinks that C.J., or he's mentally preparing for C.J. not to come back over the final 10 games of the regular season, so we'll end up with about 11 games, 11 C.J.-less games, 12 C.J.-less games on the docket. But I want to talk a little bit about what... Uh, what this post-CJ world looks like. You know, I did some speculation when he first got injured about who might see an uptick in their minutes, but I think now we have some more, uh, a little more data, a little more, um, we've, got a, we've got a massive 48-minute sample size to back up some of my thoughts. And, and I, think it's, um, I think it's important because, you know, he's, he's, he's going to miss at least two more games and, and, and in my opinion, a bunch more. Like, I, I, my read was same with Dames. He's going to miss the rest of the regular season. Uh, I think the Blazers' schedule is soft enough that if he is not fully 100% healthy, there's no reason to bring him back. So maybe we'll see CJ in the playoffs. And so until then, this is the roster the Blazers are working with, and we should consider a little bit what it looks like. First and foremost, it's what I touched on in the first segment. Damian Lode has just been out of this world. Even by his all-NBA standards, this is as good as we've seen him play, as well as I've seen him play. In my five years on the beat and, you know, probably watching 85% of his games prior to being on the beat when I was just a uh, high school sports reporter who lived here in Portland. I shouldn't say just. Shout out to all my dudes grinding on the high school sports beat. But in the middle of this game, probably in the middle of the second quarter, and certainly in the third when Dame was going nuts, I really thought to myself, oh yeah, CJ McCollum is missing. That's kind of how good Dame was, is that um, one perhaps not totally focused podcaster and beat reporter forgot that the Blazers were missing their second leading scorer. But I think that also says a lot about not just how well Dame played, and, and I cannot say that enough. He's been fantastic. But it's that the Blazers have a reasonable replacement for for CJ. And I don't. I listen. I don't. I don't mean to say that Seth Curry is as good as CJ McCollum. I don't think he is. But he's a reasonable facsimile for what CJ does, and these. Last two games have really, you've got to see what it looks like when, when Seth Curry spreads his wings. Um, on the year, Seth is averaging less than six shot attempts a game, 5.6 field goal attempts per night in about 17 minutes. And I don't think when my dude signed to uh, join up with the fighting pinwheels that he imagined himself shooting less than six times a game. Now, he's not dumb. He knew who's on the roster. He knew he wasn't going to get a ton of shots or he knew he was going to have to sort of share the wealth and probably not play a ton, a ton of minutes when the two best players on the team are guards who are going to play 36 minutes a night. Seth Curry knows he's six foot three. It's not easy to play him at small forward. It's not easy to play six foot three. And that might be generous. CJ McCollum at, at small forward. It's certainly not easy to, to play the six foot two point guard, all-star point guard, Damian Lillard at small forward. One of those dudes is going to be playing out of position. And even though those three have played a little bit together this year, it's something they've they've gone away from. So the minutes just haven't been there for Seth. That was probably always part of the plan. But in the two games with CJ out, 
He's shooting 12 times a game. He's second on the team in shot attempts in those two games, averaging 15 and a half points. And obviously this is an insanely small sample size, and I don't mean to read too much in it, but he's shooting 54% from three in those two games. This is what it looks like when Seth Curry gets to spread his wings a little bit. This is what it looks like when Seth Curry gets to play that C.J. McCollum role. I kind of thought he would be the guy to start at shooting guard. I thought he was the natural player to put there. Obviously, it's been Jake Lehman, and he, uh, after struggling a little bit in that one game, maybe finally is getting his groove back. Looks like old Jake Lehman from February. January, maybe. But but Seth has been the biggest beneficiary. Um, and I think it's a function of a couple different things. Uh, not only now is there... Is there just shots and points needed and, and that space vacated by C.J. McCollum going out with injury? But also, Seth has played sort of less of those minutes, not even sort of. He just played less of those minutes with uh, Evan Turner. And there was some functional stuff early in the year for why Seth Curry was struggling. Uh, the Blazers were really, really committed to uh, having Evan Turner play point guard. In fact, I think this is pretty funny. On basketball reference, for the first time in maybe his career, but certainly a long time, Evan Turner is listed as a point guard for the Blazers. It's a funny little quirk. Yeah, first time in his career. He's been listed as a shooting guard or small forward every year of his career. This year he's listed as a point guard. I don't know how basketball reference does that thing, but it kind of it's it's telling for what the point I'm trying to prove. The Blazers were really committed to him being their lead ball handler with the second unit, and so that meant when Seth came off the bench, he was off the ball a lot more. And when he and when he finally started to find his rhythm, and I think obviously he missed a, he missed an entire season with a leg fracture, so early in the season he was going to have trouble finding his legs anyways, or finding his rhythm anyways, I should say. But when he really started to find his rhythm in early in January and started to play a little bit better and Seth Curry started to look, kind of look like a, a a useful, consistent sort of scoring option. And, you know, he's had blips. He has he has plenty of nights where he just doesn't exist because that's kind of how this team works. They got a lot of options. Some guys are going to be options. But when he, when he finally found his legs, it's because the Blazers were taking the ball out of Evan Turner's hands and letting Seth Curry handle more in pick and rolls, moving him around, and not just letting him come off screens and stand in the corner and be frustrated and wave his hands. I've seen a bunch of that. Him waving his hands while his teammates don't see him. So I don't know if... Like, I don't think this unlocks Seth Curry. That's not what I'm trying to say. I don't think that when CJ comes back that now this confidence and this this whatever, uh, you know, more minutes, more shots is going to sort of unlock Seth Curry and now he's going to be this postseason weapon and, and, and this, this great thing that the Blazers have found. But it does show you that he's still got it, or at least he can bring it. I don't know if still got it is right. He can bring it. He can be a reasonable facsimile of what C.J. McCollum brought. And should McCollum's injury or, or knee issues linger and he's not available early in the playoffs or he's just not right, I think what the Blazers are going to discover and have discovered in these first two games is that Seth Curry can give them a lot of what C.J. McCollum gave them. And if there is a silver lining, that's probably it so far. When we get back uh, in the uh, third segment, I want to talk about less about silver linings and uh, a little bit about some 
troubling trends that I've noticed statistically with the Blazers that I think could be issues when they get into tougher games and tougher opponents in the postseason. All right, welcome back. Still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond, Blazer beat writer and pass first point guard. Ennis Cantor played pretty well tonight. Kind of had the quintessential Ennis Cantor game. 14 points, 10 boards, 4 assists, 6-11 from the floor. 10 of his rebounds were offensive. In 20 minutes, he just played, he looked like Ennis Cantor. He was self-sufficient, grabbing his misses and other people's misses and scoring on his own. He had a nice post-up where he took Salamedri off the baseline, spun past him and scored. He had a little pull-up on a pick-and-roll where he, he defense didn't come out, and instead of going all the way to the rim, he just pulled right up there from 12 feet, swished a little mini jump shot. But he was also minus 9 in a game the Blazers won by 8. Uh, I don't think the final box score necessarily, and I, and I don't want to go too much into, into single-game plus-minus, but in the first half, the Blazers were up 13. But when Yusuf Nurkic had been on the floor, they were plus 21. And in Cantor's minutes, they have been outscored by 8. And in fact, they were up big, and Dallas came all the way back and tied it. And then Cantor came back in, and that, that's how they built back. Or then, excuse me, and Nurkic came back in, and that's how they pulled back away and were led by double digits at halftime. And... Cantor just has, he has defensive deficiencies. He's just not a good defensive player. And I've talked about this on this podcast, and I don't want to sort of beat the obvious drum. But the uh, Cantor can't play GIF from, uh, or GIF if y'all say that. I say GIF, sorry guys. But of Billy Donovan saying, you know, in the opening minutes of a playoff series, Cantor can't play. That that just keeps ringing in my head, guys. Like, I, I think Cantor's defensive deficiencies and his... His inability just to sort of be an impact player on pick and rolls, like he drops back in pick and rolls, right? That's what the Blazers do. They drop their big. But instead of like interfering with passing lanes or recovering to his guy and challenging shots, he gets caught in no man's land so much where he's neither making that pass to the roll man hard or challenging the ball handler coming at him, or he drops so low and tries to play center field, catching the guy that that there's an easy three somewhere as as either players help or or his man just uh, or the ball handler just kind of has has a walk-in three-pointer. And I said I wasn't going to get too much into single game plus minus, and, and, and I'm not going to. I'll get into total game plus minus first, and then I'll go into single game plus minus, because I don't give a heck. And this is my podcast, y'all. These are my stats. I looked them up on my own. Since the All-Star break in 13 games, Ennis Cantor has the worst plus minus on the team. The Blazers have been outscored by 48 points. In his, in his 13 games. By contrast, hilariously, Blazers are plus 158 when Yusuf Nurkic is on the court. So they're killing teams when the other center is in the game and they're struggling a little bit when the backup center plays. So in 13 games, Ennis Cantor has had exactly two, count them, two games where he, where the Blazers have outscored the opponent with him on the court. One of them came on Monday night. So maybe this panic, this panicked drum that you hear me beating is overblown and that he's finally, he's finally figuring it out. Maybe that's true. He was plus 10 against the Pacers on Monday. 
His only other game where he's been in the positive, plus minus, was March 9th against Phoenix in a game where the Suns were absolutely terrible and the Blazers basically just won the game in three quarters. Other than that, the only time that he has been a, a net zero, a win at New Orleans. Zero plus minus in 20 minutes. Other than that, 10 other games, he's been in the negative. The Blazers have been outscored with him on the court. Hasn't always been terrible, but he's had three games at San Antonio versus Oklahoma City and at Charlotte where he's where they've been outscored by double-digit points when he's on the court. That's more than he's had just total positive plus-minus games. He has issues, guys. This is not like a... This is a thing that's going to come back up again. And I, I mentioned the Billy Donovan uh, thing, which is, if you're not familiar with... Uh, the OKC playing Houston in the playoffs and they run a pick and roll with Cantor in the game and the uh, ESPN camera, I believe could have been TNT, but the national television camera flashes to the uh, under bench and Billy Donovan tells Maurice Cheeks' assistant coach, I believe at the time he says, Cantor can't play. Or can't play Cantor, I believe is what he says. And that's going to stick with me because I, I just think that maybe not during the regular season because the Blazers' schedule is so soft, they only play one Western Conference team over their final 10 games, and it's the Denver Nuggets twice. So maybe Monty Morris just destroys Cantor in the pick and roll, and it really crystallizes for everyone. But I think this is going to matter in the playoffs. And I don't think the positives that he brings really outweigh it. And I thought tonight was a really good example where the Blazers struggled with him on the court and he finished with nice stats. You look at his box score and he looked like he played pretty well, but if you watch that first half, the minutes where they struggled were his minutes. The other plus minus, or the other, sorry, plus minus, the other statistical thing I want to talk a little bit about, uh, this was something that that uh, someone mentioned to me on Twitter, and so I want to dig in a little bit deeper. Um, if you've watched the games recently, and you have. If you listen to this podcast and you don't watch the games, you're weird. I'll just tell you right now. But uh, shout out to if you do. Actually, I really appreciate you guys listening. Leave me a five-star review. But if you've watched the games recently, you know it. You've seen it. Evan Turner's in a bad way right now. He just stinks. His minutes have just been bad. And I know that he was kind of the um, the the scapegoat, the bad kind of goat. Uh, most of last season for all the Blazers' troubles. But early in the season, he was fine. The Blazers have kind of figured out a way to use him. But ever since they've gone away from using him as that backup point guard, even the things he's good at, he's been bad at. And here's the stats that I looked up. Someone mentioned this to me on Twitter that they thought that uh, that the Blazers were kind of playing at like a the wrong pace or kind of a wonky pace with Turner on the court. And interestingly enough, since uh, February 1st, the Blazers have he the Blazers have the second slowest pace with Turner on the court of any other player. The slowest pace they play is when Cantor's on the court. Not coincidentally, those two dudes play together. I think that that's twofold. One, I think it's they're giving up points when those guys are on the court. Can't, when you give up points, you can't run as fast. You can't play as fast because you can't run off misses. Uh, Blazers don't cause a ton of turnovers, but you can't run off turnovers. There's just a fewer possessions um, when you're having to play full, you know, full shot clock worth of defense to take the ball out of the net. That's how that works. 
The other sort of reason is that I think because even in his limited minutes, and obviously um, since February 1st, this isn't obvious to you, but it's obvious to me because I just looked it up. Since February 1st, um, Evan Turner has only cracked the 20-minute mark twice. He didn't do it tonight. He only played 19 minutes, nine regular first-half minutes, and he played a little bit in that. Uh, came in about two minutes left in the third quarter and played a regular stretch, but he he, he wants to put his imprint on the game a little bit. Uh, so I think he's 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 you know getting guys into sets and and, and running things and and uh, the Blazers have been best with him on the court when they play wide open and I think the sort of addition of Cantor into Turner's world has slowed him down a little bit and thus made him struggle and I think he's just losing his spot uh, and I think there's a mental aspect to it that he's just frustrated um, obviously he's missed. S- six of the last 13 games with that knee injury and then he missed one game for a personal reason so he some of it is health with him some of his health but i think he's frustrated my read on it is that he's frustrated with his role changing and his his, and the inconsistent minutes and that frustration has boiled over into just him playing really poorly the last um couple weeks i don't know if there's an easy solution to that the easiest solution might be to totally give up on him. But he has some positives. You know, the Blazers at one point figured out how to make him useful. Uh, if you're into five-man lineup data, when he plays with the starters, he's been really good. Like when he's the small forward next to um, Chief Nurk Damon CJ. And I don't think he's taken that spot from Mo Harkless. And I certainly don't think he's going to sneak into the starting lineup with CJ out. But there are some there are some ways that, that they've used Turner's gifts his passing ability and his ability to sort of bully little guys and 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 be be a fulcrum of the offense in the post but uh right now he just can't get right i think that's an issue moving forward i think Cantor's struggles on defense and and turner's just um turning into the worst version of himself over the last three weeks could be issues that really flare up when the games get tougher for the blazers I want to thank you guys for listening. You know I really appreciate you. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And also, as always, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Blazers. You know I think this is the best podcast for your commute. I'm not going to change that stance. I'm not going to change nothing about that, y'all. Tell your when you get in your car, tell your smart device, play podcast lockdown blazers and blue improve your ride, improve your day. Thank you guys for rocking with me. As always, in addition to uh your smart devices, you can holler at your boy on Twitter at Mike G. Rich. I always appreciate the feedback. I've gotten some really useful feedback from you guys. Helps me improve the show. Love hearing from you. I'll talk to you guys soon.